I want to tell you what the greatest lie is. The greatest lie is that Christianity is just a religion among other religions, Uh, that Jesus Christ is a Savior. He may be my Savior, some people claim, but He's not the Savior of the world. That all roads lead to God and into the light. That Christ is a mere founder of a religion. I want you to hear me right because that's important. In many ways, there are a lot of ways I can show you how to refute this. But the aim is not to refute the greatest lie for the sake of refuting, because you can often win the argument and lose the person. And that is not our desire. Our love for them compels us to help deliver them from the judgment that's coming upon the world. But make no mistake about it, believing this greatest lie will not get people into eternity in heaven. It will get them into eternity in a place that Jesus calls hell. And by the way, I never joke about hell. An old man told me years and years and years ago when I began my ministry, he said, don't ever joke about hell because real people going there. And that is why our love compels us to tell them the truth, to explain the truth patiently, lovingly, And in this message and the next, I'm going to give you indisputable truth that is why Jesus and Jesus alone is the truth and the only giver of eternal life. I want to show you how that anyone who would say to you, Jesus is my Savior, but He's not everybody's Savior, they're already knee-deep in that greatest lie. And they need to discover the truth if they are to have eternal life in heaven. And the first proof about the Christian faith to be the truth and the only life-giving faith is found in the unity of the Scripture, in the unity of the Bible. And I want to talk to you about this today. Most of the other religions called uh, sacred books or sacred scriptures, they are hodgepodge of moral and ethical and rules by which you, how to live and how to do this, and including every detail of your life. And even then, they tell you, you really have absolutely no way of connecting with God personally. He is so far removed. Our Bible is a compendium that has a beginning and an end. And the end reflects the beginning, and the beginning reflects the end. In the opening chapters of the Bible, there is a garden. And 1,600 years later, the last writer in the Bible concludes the Bible with another garden. In the beginning, the first garden, the Garden of Eden, It was a place of peace and a place of protection. It was a place where our first parents received their life. It was a place where Adam and Eve came together in marriage. It was a place where they experienced intimacy and fellowship with the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe. And at the end of time, there will also be another garden. But that final garden will not be entered into by everybody. Oh, would I long that would be the case. But that is not the case. I'm going to explain to you. Because that final garden is the new Jerusalem that is coming down from heaven. 
And Revelation 22, 1 and 3 describes that beautiful garden this way, the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. I can't wait to get there. In the beginning, the first garden, the Garden of Eden, Curses came into that garden. Death came into that garden by humanity. Why? Simply because they disobeyed God. They distrusted the only plan of God. They distrusted the Word of God. And all of us followed suit. In the last garden, there is a tree of life. And all of this tree of life, river of life, it's all basically explanation that it would be yielding life eternal for everyone who will enter into that final garden. In the first garden, there were curses and death came to the world. In the last garden is going to be healing and no death no more. The Bible said all our tears are going to be wiped out. There will be no diseases, no illnesses, no separation, no pain, no death. The first garden, Adam and Eve bought into Satan's greatest lie, and we followed suit. But in the last garden, Jesus, who is the truth and the only giver of eternal life, will be there in that garden physically, illuminating it and giving it its light. From the first garden, we all inherited the curse of sin. And this is a key, beloved. Listen carefully. And that is why God said that you cannot get to the final garden until you have gone through the middle garden. You got started with a garden, you ended with a garden, but in the middle there's another garden. And that middle garden is of vital importance. You see, that's where the unity of the Bible comes in. The middle garden is the Garden of Gethsemane. And no one can enter into the final last garden without going through the Garden of Gethsemane. How? By following the one who went through the Garden of Gethsemane. Hear me on this one. That middle garden is the only way to the final garden. The middle garden is halfway between Genesis and Revelation. There in the middle garden, Jesus prayed before the crucifixion, and He prayed with such intensity until He was sweating blood. In the first garden, the first human beings fell into Satan's temptation. In the first garden, our first parents disobeyed God. Oh, but in the middle garden, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, faced more intense temptation than Adam has ever faced, and yet he was victorious over Satan's temptation. He didn't fall for it. He had victory, and he is willing to share that victory with everyone who would come to him. In the first garden, Adam and Eve rejected God's only plan for salvation. But in the middle garden, the perfect Son of God was tempted to reject God's only plan of salvation. Satan tempted him throughout his earthly life to find some shortcuts, some other way other than the cross, because Satan knew that that middle garden is the only way to heaven. But Jesus won the victory over Satan. The last Adam, Jesus, resisted the temptation of the devil, and he paid the price on a tree for everyone who would come to him in humility and in repentance and in faith. 
In the first garden, Adam and Eve took from the tree. In the middle garden, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, hung on a tree. In the first garden, Adam rejected the will of God. But in the middle garden, the last Adam, Jesus, said, Thy will be done, not my will, but yours. And he said, I will drink that cup if that is your will for the salvation of everyone who would come to me. And in that very submission to the will of the Father, he crushed Satan's head, just as God said in Genesis 3.15. Jesus is not the founder of Christianity. Christianity was founded in Genesis 3.15. That's the whole purpose of God's plan. From the very beginning when Adam and Eve fell, he said, Your seed is going to crush Satan's head. And there in that middle garden, Jesus crushed Satan's head by going into the tree, by going into the cross, and hanging in there and dying there. And when he did this, he did not only arrest the deeds that Adam lost to Satan by his disobedience, but he opened the door for everyone who would come to him, and only those who come to him, to enter in the final garden. It's the only way. There is no other way. There is no way other ways for Buddhists. There is no other way for Hindus. There is no other way for Muslims. There is no other way for religious people and a church-going people. There is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. In the first garden, Adam and Eve yield to Satan, and they believe the greatest lie. But in the middle garden, Jesus obeyed the Father, drank the cup of judgment on behalf of everyone who would believe in Him. In Adam, all of humanity received the curse of sin and disobedience and death, but in Christ, the last Adam, and only in Christ, we can receive the gift and the blessings of eternal life that we would have peace here on earth in our hearts with Him and relating to Him, but peace for eternity. That's the key. See, the people think it's cute to say, well, yeah, Jesus is my Savior, but He's not the world's Savior. And as I told you in the last message, they're basically saying that my Savior is a liar. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, He's my Savior, but He's not everybody. So when He said, I am the truth and the only way and the only giver of life, He was lying. And yet that's preached from thousands of pulpits across the land. Because in that middle garden, when Jesus obeyed the Father, He undid for everyone who believed in Him what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And you see, those who buy into the greatest lie, that all paths will lead to heaven and all paths will lead to God, they're going to spend eternity not in that final garden, but in a place the Bible calls hell. And everything we know about hell, just about, came from the lips of Jesus. You see why, beloved, they don't want His name in public life? Don't pray in Jesus' name. It's a controversial name. Don't mention that name. They want to get rid of the crosses. They want to get rid of Jesus' name from public life because they don't want to hear the one who said there is hell. They don't want to know about their destiny. But we, out of love in our hearts, must tell them that there is a way to escape from that horrible place, because Jesus is the one who warned us about hell. 
In Matthew 10, 28, in Matthew 25, 46, in Matthew 13, 40, in Luke 16, 22. And I could go on and the references are too many to number. But the Bible said something very important about hell, that God originally designed hell for Satan and his demons for rebelling against God. That's the purpose for which hell is hell and why it's there. But sadly, it is a place for everyone who buys into Satan's greatest lie. And I know probably some of you are sitting here saying, Michael, 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 why do you have to get and talk about hell, man? All the preachers have given up preaching on hell. Why are you just the last man standing? (laughs) Because when I see Jesus, I don't want to tell him that I preached half-truth to make people feel good. Denying the full truth is a lie. But I know some say to me many times, I've heard it from even wonderful friends. Nobody preaches on hell anymore. It's such a negative subject. Um, No, it is. (laughs) Somebody said it's a turn-off. Turn-off from what? Warn people, honestly, about a place that is awaiting them if they buy into Satan's lie and refuse to believe the truth. There is a sub-lie that Satan is spreading around, and there are many people who have easily bought into it. He had successfully sold it to a lot of preachers. And that sub-lie is that hell is just a metaphor, uh, that hell is just a concept, uh, that there is no such place as hell, or that, oh, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? Now, here's the truth. Listen carefully. God is not going to send anybody to hell. You must understand that. God is not going to send anybody to hell. He's not going to take people to heaven against their will either. People take themselves to hell. Those who have rejected God's only Son as the only Savior of everyone in the world, those who have rejected God's only plan of salvation for everyone in the globe, as those who reject all of the evidence of the truth in the, of the Scripture, those who refuse to believe God's Word, those who choose the do-it-yourself religion, uh, those who doubt what God has made very clear in the Scripture— Sadly and painfully, the Bible said they will end up in a place. In the Greek, it is topos. It is a place. It is a literal and physical place called hell. Listen, I mean, that is why we spend millions of dollars every year and untold hours of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, to 200 countries Hundreds of times every week. Why? Telling people to escape from hell. Urging people to accept God's only way of salvation. Warning people of the consequences of their choices. And the most amazing thing is that God never for 2,000 years never left Himself without a witness. From the time the disciples traveled the globe, 
where Thomas went to India, and there he was martyred. And Mark went to Egypt, and there he was martyred. From that time on, missionaries throughout 2,000 years have gone into the remote parts of the world. They lost limb and life. They buried their children in foreign lands. Why? In order to warn people to escape from hell. Because no one in the end is going to be accusing God of giving them a raw deal. He did not leave himself without a witness. Beloved, listen to me. I tell you, with a severe pain in my heart and a prayer on my lips, that no one at the sound of my voice would end up in that place. So what do we know about hell? Everything we know about hell comes from the lips of Jesus. The first thing about hell, Jesus tells us that it is a lake of fire. In telling the story of Lazarus and the rich man, Jesus, who was there before the foundation of the earth, Jesus, who knows all about hell, he tells us that it is a literal place, not a state of mind. It's a place of intense suffering. It's a place from which there is no return. It is a place of eternal separation from all that is good and holy and righteous. It is a place of separation from God Himself. Jesus, who experienced the very hell itself when He was separated from the Father, carrying your sin and mine, He is the one who paid that price for you and for me. Jesus, who experienced its very agony, He did so so that anyone would come and believe in Him, escape from it. And He alone is able to talk about hell with authority. Twenty-one times in the New Testament, hell and all the derivation of the Word is described as a place of unquenchable fire. But that's not all. In fact, I'm going to come back to that again. But he said it's a place of confinement. In Matthew 18, 21, in the story of the unforgiving servant, Jesus described it as a prison. But earthly prisons confine only a person's body. Earthly prisons cannot confine the spirit and the soul, but hell is. Earthly prisons cannot chain down the spirits regardless of what happens to the body. Because the spirit, even in a physical prison, is free to worship. It's free to create. It's free to imagine. It's free to anticipate. And it's free to hope. Paul and Silas were beaten so severely they were bleeding from every part of their body, and they were thrown into the Philippian jail. But in the midst of that prison, they were able to sing praises to the Lord. Earthly prisons could not repress their joy. I will never forget, back in 1986, I had the distinct honor of sitting with a man who was taking hostage in Beirut. You remember back then, a bunch of Americans were taken hostages. Well, he was one of them, a prominent man, and was there for over three years. He told me unimaginable horror stories about his captivities. And yet, he told me he survived by nurturing his inner spirit with hope and anticipation. Ah, but in hell, a person is so locked up, their imagination locked up, their thoughts, their creativity, all hope is locked up. 
Not only that, but the Bible said that it is a place of utter darkness. Those who belong to Jesus, those who refuse to believe the greatest lie, will be in that final garden that is already described to you from the book of Revelation, where Jesus Himself physically is present and where He is illuminating and light up that place. But in contrast, hell is a place of perpetual darkness. Matthew 25, 30, Jesus said, it is outer darkness, meaning that there will be no morning, no evening, no twilights, no sunrises, no sunsets. There will be no moral light. The moral and spiritual darkness all the time, only dullness and ignorance. There is no light, no light to read, no light to see anything or anybody. But not only it is a lake of fire, and it's a place of torment, and it's a a place of confinement, a place of darkness. The Bible also tells us Jesus said it's a place of suffering, continuous, perpetual suffering. He said it's a place of gnashing of teeth. There is no relief, not even for a nanosecond. And that is why in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, and by the way, that is not a parable, it's a real story. And only the eternal Jesus would know what was taking place on the other side of this curtain we call life. Jesus said that the place called hell where that selfish and self-centered man was in torment, Jesus said he looked up and he saw Father Abraham far, far away, and Lazarus was next to him, the man whom he ignored all his life. The man who he mistreated all of his life, the godly and righteous man, was right there by Abraham's side. And so he called to him, Jesus said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Continuous confinement, continuous darkness, continuous suffering. And the Bible also said it's a place of continuous loneliness, complete loneliness. It was George Bernard Shaw who was quoted to have said, there are a lot of interesting people in hell. A media mogul here in America several years ago made a statement. He said, I'm looking forward to hell because I get to spend time with Hitler and Mussolini. Let me tell you a little bit of what the Bible said about those interesting people. It's in Revelation 21, 8. Cowardly, unbelieving, vile, immoral, idolatrous, and liars. Just a small list. But the most important thing is not only that this kind of dubious crew is going to be in hell, but there's no fellowship. There's no companionship in hell because it's a place of absolute isolation, solitary confinement. Once there, all feelings of friendship and love will be gone forever. Beloved, no wonder Satan is waging unrelentless war, a brutal war right now against the very souls even of people who are churchgoers. He's frantically trying to persuade men and women, boys and girls, to follow his greatest lie. And it's preached by former Christian schools and 
and former Christian churches, I often think that all of my pleading would save one person would be worth it. But I know, I know from the Scripture that ultimately it is God who opens our spiritual eyes to see the horrors of sin and our desperate need to escape from it. That is why all of my pleading is with Him. We need to plead with God for salvation of souls. Let me tell you something. If you have an unbelieving family member and you are praying for that person, don't ever give up. Did you get that? Don't ever give up. That is one prayer God promised to hear. And I know I've seen people come to Christ within a matter of few years, and I'm still praying for some people who still have not come to Christ. But I don't give up. Intercede. Plead with God. He's patient, but He will not tarry forever. Before I conclude this message, I know that some people always ask the question, what about those who haven't heard? It is a simple answer. It really is much simpler than you think. They are not your problem. They are God's problem. They are God's problem, not yours. Yours is that you've heard. Did you respond? What did you do with the truth? Did you accept it and obey it or not? And the Bible said that God desires not one person, not one, be lost. It's His deep desire. And believers... That ought to be your desire and mine. Even our enemies. We need to pray that they'll be saved. But He's also not going to take people to heaven against their will. I was talking to one of those people who says, you know, everybody's going to make it to heaven, everybody. And I said, do you love Jesus? He said, no, I can't stand His name. I said, heaven is all about Jesus. What are you going to do with him if you end up in heaven? What do you do? Everything in heaven is about Jesus. Your job and mine is to tell them. But you know what would be the tragic thing today? Somebody here in this place who have bought into either the greatest lie or one of the sub-lies and walk out of here with the same belief, false belief, and so, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, and you want to give up whatever false belief you have fallen into, come and surrender. Any false belief system, you may have learned it in a church, you may have learned it from a preacher, but you need to surrender it here in order to receive the full truth and know for sure that Jesus will take you with Him wherever He goes in the final garden. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.